Well, again, welcome everybody to Emmanuel Anglican Church. We're uh, beginning a new sermon series this week called In Chicago As It Is In Heaven, Seeking the City to Come. And uh, there's a place for you to take notes if you want to. We'll be looking at Matthew 6, which is printed in your programs. You know, like many of you, I love the city. I love Chicago. Um, you know, for most of the year, it's colder than we want it to be. <laughs> but there's a smug kind of satisfaction in that, that we can handle it. And when it gets really cold, you know what happens? And many of you have experienced this. When it gets cold here in Chicago, what do people do? They huddle up in homes and cafes and a lot of other places, and they create amazing food to survive. And the food's so good for a minute, you, you forget how cold it is. And then after a while, you become a better chef, right? And we huddle around great art, don't we? All the pain and the angst turns into something pretty cool. And we huddle around that too. And we make great music in the process become better musicians. And this is one of the things that we do to survive in Chicago. And I find that in the, when it gets warm, all of that creative energy spills out to the streets and the festivals and the block parties. Just yesterday on our block on Hamilton Avenue, we had an awesome, awesome block party. Um, and, uh, you know, there's other things to love about Chicago. It's the capital of the Midwest. It's the unofficial, you know, role that it plays. And so it scoops up the best of the surrounding states and uh, it puts them together. And uh, amazing things are created here. And there's a you actually can advance in your education, in your career in Chicago. Um, we enjoy access to institutions and influence uh, that is unparalleled uh, anywhere else in the Midwest. There's a great cultural and socioeconomic diversity in our city. And so depending on how you spend your time, you can appreciate the, the nations of the earth and, and the many cultures represented in the United States in some ways are represented and come together here in Chicago. It's a beautiful city, isn't it? The architecture is beautiful. The river is beautiful. If it's green, you don't look too close. Um, the lakefront path, there's so much beauty in our city. I love Chicago. I bet there's a part of you that loves Chicago. But you know what? It breaks our hearts. We love Chicago, but it breaks our hearts. My first fall here in Chicago was 19 years ago. Uh, and uh, 1997, and I was, one afternoon that fall, I was getting on the red line with a group of my friends. We we're actually going to, and I'm trying to, not trying to toot my own horn here, we we're going to tutor some kids at Lydia Home. Some of you know about Lydia Home, uh, serves under-resourced children, uh, and um, we were going to offer after-school tutoring. One of my light-hearted friends, very childlike, was, you know, had too much energy and was like freestyle walking his way into the Red Line station, and, um, and uh, that was a thing in the 90s, I guess. Um, and as he paid his fare, he put his hands on both sides of the turnstile and pushed his way in. And then from behind the wall, two cops come around and accuse him of jumping over the turnstile, which he did not do because I saw with my own eyes. And uh, they cussed him out, and they threw him against the wall, and they cussed us out, and all of a sudden we went from... Uh, kind of a light-hearted, high, you know what I mean, 
good-natured group for the most part, heading to tutor some kids. All of a sudden, I'm walking down the street, watching my, chi- my childlike, kind-hearted friend being perp-walked down the street and booked. And then we had to walk through a process with him in, in the justice system to get a picture of what that's like and what it takes to survive that here in Chicago. That's totally devastated. Has Chicago broken your heart? Maybe, maybe you or someone you love has been a victim of violence here. There's been a lot of violence here in Chicago this year. Or maybe you've come face to face with the segregation of our city, which you know in your heart is not the way it's supposed to be. Or maybe you've experienced failure from one of the great, you've, experienced, you've seen failure from the inside of one of the great institutions of our city, whether it's a private or public institution, the educational system or the justice system or the political system. Maybe you've dealt with the highly inefficient uh, building permit system or the highly efficient parking ticket system. <laughs> or maybe you've literally, you know, your heart's literally been broken here by a person here or a group or a cause that you believed in that let you down. We love Chicago, but it breaks our hearts. And there's a tension that we find ourselves in. We appreciate Chicago for all that it is. It's an amazing city. And yet at the same time, we find ourselves resenting Chicago for the ways that it falls short and how awful it can be. And for many of us, this is our default tension. This is a great city. This is a city that will break your heart. That's our default tension. Is that the right tension for us to live in? That's our default tension. It's the one that we experience and live in. But is that the right tension? For those of us who have hope, and not just a wish hope, but an enduring, rooted hope, for what God could do in our city, I think that there is a different tension for us to embrace while we're here. It's a difference that we choose, not that we accept by default. It's It's a tension that we choose for the sake of love for our city and for our neighbors. And here's the tension. We're citizens of heaven who have pitched our tent here in Chicago. We are citizens of a different city who have nevertheless, for the sake of love, made our home here in Chicago, pitched our tents here in Chicago, driven our stake of our uh, life into Chicago. We have Chicago dirt on our, on our li- in our life because this is our home, even though it's not our permanent home. We belong to heaven, but we're rooted here. So on the one hand, we belong to heaven. What does that mean? We belong to a literal city that to our eyes is unseen. If we, if we saw it, we couldn't handle it because we don't yet have the capacity to handle the glory of heaven. But we see it with our imaginations. We see it in the cross. We see it in all kinds of ways, but... It is a literal city, and we belong there. As soon as we go to heaven, we will know this was my home all along. This is why my desires were so huge. This is why my hopes always outpaced reality, because I was meant to be home here in heaven, perfectly loved, perfectly known. Our bodies, our current bodies, our current families, our current possessions, our current loyalty all belong to God and therefore all belong to heaven. Therefore, we draw our vision from heaven of how things should be. 
We draw our marching orders, receive our marching orders from heaven. We receive our identity from heaven, not by other people's opinions of us. That's where we get our loyalty. That's where we get our hope. That's where we get our vision. That's how we get our prayers. And that's where we get the sermon series. Okay? Heaven's our true home. But we've pitched our tents in Chicago. Because Chicago belongs to the living God, to the King of Heaven. The good and gracious rule of Heaven is meant to extend to our city. The will of God is meant to be done here in Chicago. And you and I are like flags in the ground. This belongs to the King. This city belongs to God. Heaven will come to earth, and that will include Chicago in some way. We're citizens of heaven who have pitched our tents in Chicago. That's a different tension that we choose for the sake of love of our city. We love Chicago. We love everybody who lives here. We love it. uh, uh, We choose to love Chicago not for our own sake, not for what it can do for us, although sometimes we are tempted to love Chicago in that way, aren't we? Chicago advances us in some way. Chicago has benefits that we like, that we want to draw from and then take with us. That's not how we love Chicago when we choose this tension. We love Chicago because God is making all things new, because God wants to reach our friends and our neighbors, because he wants to renew the institutions here to reflect his justice and glory. God has, called, has loved us and call, called us to overflow with love to our neighbors. God has gifted us and called us to overflow with our gifts for the love of our neighbors and our friends and for the good of our city. He's called us to taste heaven on earth, and then he has called us to give our neighbors and friends a taste of heaven on earth. You and I are like walking, talking temples here, all right, where heaven and earth intersect. In our mortal bodies, we carry around the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and everyone that we encounter can taste it and see it too. This is the way, this is the tension Jesus chose. He belonged to heaven. And yet he was incarnate, born of the Virgin Mary, grew up as a first century Palestinian Jew. As he enjoyed his father's love, as he was secured in his heavenly identity, he overflowed with heavenly love to others. And when people got around Jesus, they tasted heaven. They got got a taste for it and they wanted more. As we imagine heaven and as we seek God's face, this is the pattern that we take on as well, the pattern of Jesus, taking heaven wherever we go, to our homes and workplaces and even dark corners of the earth. And we're learning to pray that God's will would be done in Chicago as it is in heaven, which is to say that we're praying for Chicago with heaven in view. We're learning what heaven is like. We're connecting with what heaven is like. And based on that vision, based on that reality, we are praying for Chicago Our hope is that God will make his will done in Chicago as it is in heaven. And if only we knew what our true home was like, that would be our consuming prayer. If only we could get our eyes off of the immediate and the urgent and we could see heaven for what it is, our prayers would change. Because listen, heaven is a magnificent garden city, radiant with natural beauty and stunning architecture that would blow Chicago away. It's teeming with creativity and it's overflowing with love. 
There's perfect justice in heaven. All the races and cultures are perfectly reconciled. The weak ones are protected and honored. There's no abuse. There's no sadness. There's no sickness. And God is all in all. At the center of this great city, friends, is a throne. And on that throne is the Lamb who was slain in all his glory and all his beauty. He is Jesus Christ. He's the Lord of the nations. His victory over death is the glory and the song of heaven. And from his throne, the scriptures describe rivers that flow, that then feed into vegetation, that are for the healing of the nations. In this city, the scars of sin are healed forever. The pain of human life gives way to freedom and glory and joy. As the love of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit washes you, fills you, and shines through you, in heaven, nothing can throw shade on the bright and incredible love of God in Christ, which shines in everyone and in everything. You'll never be more whole. You'll never be more holy. You'll never be more healed. You'll never be more known and loved, or at least your experience of being known and loved, and being alive than you are in heaven. It will surpass everything that you've experienced. And history is heading toward a day when that city that I just described comes to earth, when Chicago is redeemed along with our physical bodies, and God's glory fills the earth as the waters cover the sea. There's a day of healing coming for Chicago, and it's not coming from our utopian visions. It's not coming from our policies, although those are important and those help. Those point towards what's coming. But there is a day of healing and glory in life that you and I can scarcely imagine, yet we can't imagine it. It's a spiritual discipline to imagine what's coming. Humble as we are, friends, our presence in Chicago bear witness of what is to come. The peace and the joy that we are tasting this morning will one day overflow from the kiva that we're in here and envelop the whole city. When God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and when he sent his spirit to the face of the earth, he was making a promise of what he was going to do for our physical bodies and for our physical city in which we live. Friends, our prayers here, our presence here, are all fueled by that vision. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in Chicago as it is in heaven. Without that vision, we're just here for ourselves, and all we have is a complaint. But with that vision, we're here for the sake of others, and we have a vision. We're here for the life of the world. So for the next 10 weeks, we're exploring what heaven is like. Let's look at the New Testament. Let's look at the Old Testament. Let's look at what heaven is like so that we know how to pray for Chicago. Don't you want to be able to pray for Chicago to be like heaven? What do the scriptures teach? And how will the will of God be carried out there in relationship to our bodies, to justice, to races and cultures, to beauty? Okay, a couple of things I want to say at the beginning of this series. And I'll say also, we're going to have a Q&A after the service if you have questions about Christianity, if you have questions about the sermon, if you have questions about heaven, or anything. If you have questions, come on down to these orange chairs, which you have so copiously avoided this morning, and I'll be down here, Josh will be down here, and we'll just answer any question you got, okay? So, but let me clear up a couple matters. N number one, 
our calling as a church is not to recreate heaven. When people try to recreate utopia, and when they try to make heaven on earth, you know what results? A very strong taste of hell. Our calling is to follow Jesus and to seek the face of God because he will radiate heaven to us. Okay, we don't have to, we don't have to recreate it. He will give it to us. He will give us tastes of it that will be satisfying, and we will learn to love it right here and now, but we're not recreating it. Second thing I want to say is that heaven has two stages to it, as the scriptures present it. The first stage is the current stage, the great city, that if you were to die this morning, if you are in Christ, you would continue to exist, and you would go there, even though your body would be buried here. And it would be magnificent and glorious and your true home. But there's, it's not the end of the story. History is heading towards a day, the scriptures teach, where one day heaven will be reunited with earth. Well, God will do an incredible work of renewal. Well, he will take all of the things that were redeemed in history and keep out all that was not redeemed, keep out all that was bad, keep that all was unjust, and he will, he will unite heaven and earth. Our vision for this series comes from both stages because both stages are true and both stages are important. We'll unpack that more as we go. But this is when we see the final outcome to all of our prayers. So let's look at the first quality of heaven this morning. The first quality of heaven that all of us can begin to pray for, that all of us can begin to live in, is that heaven is full of forgiven people. It's so basic we might forget, we might forget it. Heaven is full of forgiven people. If you're not forgiven, you're not in heaven. And if you deserve to be there, you're not going to be there. Heaven is full of people who are forgiven and who have released every sin done against them. They have forgiven all sins against them, and they have been forgiven all sins from their life. No one deserves to be in heaven. All are there by the grace of God. They owe their existence to God. And the song of heaven is amazing grace. What's more, every single person in heaven has forgiven the sins committed against them. Receiving forgiveness and granting forgiveness are inextricably linked in the eyes of God. A lot of us have a, an idea based on our experience of earth is that the way to heaven is to build a staircase. I'm not going to sing the song, Stairway to Heaven, because most of you don't know it. <laughs> you may not know the song, but you know the way. Justifying your existence based on how competent you are, based on how nice you are, based on how recognized you are, based on an overall sense that I'm better than other people. This is such a tempting way for religious people and irreligious people to, to walk. And you know what? We're in the Midwest, and everyone is pretty good at being nice in the Midwest and has a general sense that as a nice person, as a moral person, as a pretty good person, um, I'm better than other people enough to where I'm good to go. If there's a loving God, he's going to accept me. Here's one example of this. Just aiming to be a moral person. You don't judge people, you don't hate people. Overall, you're honest in your dealings. As you look around or as you watch the news, there's plenty of people who seem less moral than you, and aren't there? Haven't you seen it? As you've been, you're so intuitive, I know you are, and you've been watching people and you're like, this person has some serious flaws and issues that I've moved past and they're jerks. 
Or, oh my goodness, they're murderers. They're terrorists. They're abusers. They're nutcases. They're thieves. They're bigots. But me? I mean, in comparison, I'm pretty considerate. I mean, in comparison, um, I'm pretty upstanding. In comparison, I make good choices. Of course the Lord sees this. Of course, if there's a God, if there's heaven, this is seen. And, and as it seems to me, where I'm at on the staircase is kind of like most people are, it's not to say that I'm way up, but most people are kind of down there. We can be a moral person and think that we're kind of in. That, that well, yeah, that's, that's kind of, that's going to be good enough for me to be a citizen of heaven. Or, or here's another example, being a recognized person. Um, you might not be the nicest person, you know, you might have an edge, but you make a contribution that, that people really appreciate and, and, and value. Um, and you know that if you did die this morning, that everyone would be crying so hard at your funeral because, like, this person was a genius. People respect you. I mean, you're making a mark on the world that pe- no, no one saw coming. You're changing the world. And maybe you kind of want to silence that inner voice that tells you you're not good enough. Based on what people say and based on what you've accomplished, you feel that your existence is justified. And therefore that your life is justified. Your entrance into heaven is justified. Just for the sake of argument, let's just say that you, you, you set out what you were accomplishing to do, or you, you accomplished what you set out to do. You became a moral person, or you became a recognized person, or both. And let's say that all the deserving people who did all the right things and acted in all the right ways and got all the recognition got into heaven. And everyone deserved to be there. Have you ever been in a room where everyone was convinced that they deserved to be there? Have you ever been in a neighborhood where everyone's like, yeah, we deserve to be here. Get off my lawn. It's not heavenly. Grace isn't flowing. You're still, on the, you're still there on the basis of merits. Merits still operate. Sometimes we get confused about what matters to people around us and what matters to God. And so the best we can do here in Chicago is to be better than other people. Better morals. Better choices. Better body. Better schools. Better grades. Better job. Just better. On earth, comparison is rewarded. Make no doubt. Make no mistake. Have no doubt. Comparison is rewarded here on earth. Comparison is recognized. It's a power. It's a principality, if you will, that is at work. It's a points-based system. We're always keeping track. And you know what? There's no rest. It's a burden that constantly weighs on the soul. In Jesus' day, just like our day, there were many people who just assumed that they deserved to be in heaven. If there's a heaven, I deserve to be there. They were so moral, uh, they were so recognized by their fellow man and woman that they were even kind of smug about their heavenly future. They just took it as like, of course I'm, I'm supposed to be there. And so Jesus gave them a teaching. He wanted, them, he wanted to correct their thinking about heaven. We need to have our thinking corrected about heaven. We need to understand that the stairway to heaven is truly a dead end. Look with me at Matthew 6. Just pointing out a couple things here. Matthew 6, 1. 
beware. For all those who would love heaven, beware. What are we bewaring of? Practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Practicing your betterness before other people so that you can be seen by them. Why? Because if you do, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So many of us practice our goodness, our betterness, our righteousness, whatever it might be, whatever we see as good before other people to be recognized by them, confusing that with a heavenly reward. It's not the same thing. The end of verse 2, Jesus talks about uh, the, 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 the religious people doing, uh, uh, giving to the needy that they may be praised by others. And he says, truly I say to you, they've received their reward. Yeah, the thing they were going for, which was recognition, they got it. I sometimes play payday with my kids. We'll do the thing where you do one month or two months or three months, and you go through and like you can buy a business for like $5,000 that you pay with your money. And then like maybe you land on, you know, uh, you sold your business and then you get like 15,000 back. And then, all, and then at the end it's like, oh yeah, I've got like $28,000. And, and you know, the other person's like, I only got $15,000. The third person's in debt. You're like, yes, I won at payday. But it's just payday. It's not real life. It's not real money. It's not a real business. It's, it, I won at this game, and it was a game, and now it's going back in the box, and now I have to get on with reality. Jesus is trying to point out to these religious people, you're playing a game. It won't last. It won't have the heavenly connection that you thought it had. Don't draw a correlation between being recognized as a good person on earth and being rewarded by the Father who is in heaven. On earth, comparison is rewarded. So we build staircases and ladders and we climb as high as we can go. But for the perspective of heaven, we're missing the point. The scriptures depict heaven not as a city of deserving people, but a city of grateful people. The entire population of heaven gives glory to God because of what he did for us in Christ. The, the bridge between heaven and earth is not a stairway. It's a cross. This is the bridge between heaven and earth. On the cross, Jesus spread out his arms of love, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He wanted you and me and everybody to experience the incredible, gracious forgiveness of God, which Psalm 103 talks about where the, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. We all need to receive that. The moral part of us needs to receive that. The recognition-oriented part of us needs to receive that. We need to receive it because we have offended God. We've sinned against him, and we've sinned against other people. He stretched out his arms of love on the hardwood of the cross, and he made a way for us to enter into heaven. There are two thieves on either side. One thief was accusatory. Hey, if you're, if you're really God, save us, save yourself. Daring Jesus to save him. You know what the other thief said? Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
It was a cry for mercy. It was a cry of undeserving. And Jesus said to him, truly, today you will be with me in paradise. All of us need to hear those words from Jesus. And it's an offer for every single person here, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done against you, you can be forgiven and everybody who sinned against you can be forgiven. The heart of the Father is compassionate. The heart of the Father looks on us not with comparison, but with compassion. He looks upon every man, woman, and child with tenderness. His face is turned towards us in our weakness. The face of the Father is turned towards you in your weakness. He's not looking for what you've been recognized for. He's looking for the part of you that needs mercy and love. He's looking for, because that's the part of you that will give glory to his Son when you experience forgiveness and grace. He offers us a true reward, not of recognition, but of redemption. Father, forgive them, was his prayer, not only for those mocking him, but it's a prayer for us. It's a prayer for all of Chicago. It's a prayer for everyone who lives here. Jesus is offering a gracious invitation to every single person here to have their sins forgiven and to become a citizen of heaven. And it's as simple as saying yes. The joy of heaven is available to every person here, every person sitting here, every person within the reach of this sermon. The joy of heaven is available to everybody here. When Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise, he wasn't just speaking to the thief, he was speaking to all the thieves who have done anything wrong, who have broken any of the Ten Commandments, who have ever exploited or been a, uh, someone who's per perpetrated injustice, someone who's used somebody else, murderers, thieves, abusers. It's available to everybody, religious people. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. If you want to say yes to Jesus, you can say it this morning. It begins this morning simply in the quietness of your own heart saying, yes, Jesus. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Yes, I need your grace. Yes, make me a citizen of heaven. Don't stop there, though. The journey of faith continues. So we'll have prayer ministers while... Uh, while we're distributing communion, they'll have a cross around their neck, they'll be up in this direction. Just tell them, I said yes to Jesus this morning, and they'll pray for you. They'll pray over you. Or you can come to the Q&A and just wait till it's over, and I'll pray for you, or Josh can pray for you. You can taste heaven this morning. You can become a citizen of that great city this morning. And we'll walk with you to help you discover and follow Jesus. The Lord's Prayer. We pray it every Sunday. Have you ever thought about what Jesus is saying? When he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, in Chicago as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. What does that look like? What does it look like to live out that prayer? Because Jesus said, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What a sobering, sobering warning. Beware. Beware of not forgiving the sins against you. And I say that with so much soberness because I know that many of us have experienced great injustice, abuse, betrayal at the hands of people we trusted. And it is so hard to forgive. And I am not equating forgiveness with 
trusting that person or those people again. I'm not equating it with, with, uh, with rec- even reconciling. It may not be time for that. I'm not equating it with not being angry. If you're going to truly forgive someone, you're going to experience the depth of the anger associated with the sin against you. I'm talking about releasing their sins to God and walking through the process of saying, I release them of their sins. I will no longer stand in judgment over them. Doesn't mean I trust them. Doesn't mean I'm not angry. But I release them of, forgive, uh, I release them of their sins and I forgive their sins through the power of the Holy Spirit. And for some of us, the challenge is not so much receiving forgiveness of sins, Perhaps we've been through that, but we need to know how God's love moves through us as we forgive the sins of others against us. Because let me tell you, citizens of heaven have lost the capacity to be judgmental, and they're full of grace. They're, surrounded, they're, they're full of gratefulness for the, for the lamb who was slain, not only for the fact that he's forgiven their sins, but for the fact that what he did was powerful enough to forgive the sins of anyone who has ever sinned against us. Have you been harboring bitterness? towards someone in your life who has hurt you, and it's a legitimate hurt. Let there be an end to reprisals in your life this morning. Perhaps the prayer that the Lord is calling you to to pray is, Lord, forgive my enemies. Forgive them. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know your love. They weren't complete in your grace. They didn't see it. They didn't know it. But let them be forgiven. Pray for them to know the grace of Jesus and release them in the name of Jesus from the sin against you. For some of us, this is a sincere spiritual block. We cannot go further in our journey with grace because at some point it has hit the rock portion. We've got some topsoil of we've forgiven, we've forgiven somebody, but then beyond that it hits some rock hard ground and all of a sudden we can't get past that limestone. But the Holy Spirit can. All it takes is a yes. Again, feel free to, to uh, ask someone to pray for you. To say, I am struggling to forgive someone right now. This is the first prayer for all of those who would see Chicago look more like heaven. You know so much of the violence in our city? Do you know that so much of the violence of our city comes down to this point of forgiveness? People who, are not, who refuse to forgive the person who has, who, who has shot at their family member and we have, some of us have no idea what that's like to lose a family member to violence, to lose a family member to a reprisal, but it's happening in the loop, it's happening on the north side, the west side, and the south side. There is unforgiveness everywhere in our city, and can you imagine the day when the forgiveness of heaven would wash our city clean of all the judgments held against everybody else? Can you imagine the Holy Spirit filling our city with the capacity to stop comparing ourselves and to begin to love our neighbor? That's what it's like to imagine heaven coming to earth. We have a city that has a long, bitter memory. Can you imagine that being washed clean? It starts here in this kiva. It starts here in this worship service. It starts in the quietness of your own heart where you say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Revelation 5 pictures all the people gathered around the throne of Jesus, and they say, Worthy are you, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Come to that lamb who was slain. Let him forgive your sins. And let him help you forgive the sins against you. It's 
easier than you think, even though the journey is long. Let him give you a taste of heaven, and let us all begin to pray for an outpouring of forgiveness in our city, an end to reprisals, so that God's kingdom will truly come on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.